December 16th, 1773. Members of the Sons of Liberty sneak onto a ship in Boston Harbor, dumping hundreds of crates of tea overboard in protest. Or, as most pundits remember it, the last time we were cool with property destruction. Hey everyone, uh, Brian here from The Revisionists. Uh, you did probably already know that, but uh, I said it, so here we are. Uh, I am just jumping in because, uh, as you will hear later on in this episode, we did not get a chance to do our plugs and wrap-up that we normally do uh, because of some family uh, emergencies. Um, everyone is okay. We just had to sort of end the recording abruptly. And so I am here to just right off the bat thank our guest, Josiah Brandeman, and tell you that he hosts the Pulp podcast, that is Pulp with an exclamation point. It is a very fun new uh, audio fiction podcast uh, with a lot of like sort of, I mean, pulp energy, like sci-fi. Um, if you are familiar at all with that, I think you'll really get a kick out of it. Out of it. So look for that on your podcatcher of choice, um, or you can find them at pulp underscore podcast uh, on Instagram. Um, Zach, of course, uh, he co-hosts also the Movie Trap podcast, uh, which is, I believe, still taking a brief hiatus. But they have their back catalog of episodes, uh, which are all very fun and all worth checking out. Um, and as for me, listeners, uh, the holidays are here. And, you know, if you are feeling the holiday spirit, uh, depending on... You know, what, if anything, you are celebrating. Uh, it doesn't have to be a thing. The winter solstice is here. That's sort of our thing. Um, but, you know, if you are feeling generous, I just want to put in a plug for an organization here in Denver called Mutual Aid Monday. Uh, they are probably the furthest reaching mutual aid organization in the metro area. And they are trying right now, especially to make sure that people sleeping outdoors, uh, unhoused people, have safe heat sources for their tents. Um, so you can find them also on Instagram, and you can get um, instructions for donating there. Uh, I've mentioned before, I also work with um, our local Food Not Bombs organization, uh, which, it, if you live in Denver or not, uh, you can find one and donate money to or donate your time, come down, cook, do distro, um, whatever. Uh, and yeah, so here we are. This is, you can see this episode, you know this episode's a big, big boy. It's a, it's a big, beautiful, special boy. Uh, we wanted to do something special for the holiday month. And we we wanted to time it uh, to be closer to the release of the Napoleon movie directed by Ridley Scott. Um, but here we are. It is, as we've said, hard being an adult. Um, but we hope you really enjoy it. And we will be back with the Mexican Revolution uh, with our next episode, The Rise of Pancho Villa, which I am super horny for this one okay that's 
that's a weird energy to leave this one off at, but here we are. Welcome to The Revisionists. I'm Brian Flynn, sitting here by the fire, mug of hot cocoa, waiting for uh, old jolly uh, uh, Nick Saint Nick Cage to come down my chimney. I'm, I'm Zach Powers. Um, uh, I am enjoying my traditional secular Christmas Christmas aesthetic. I am fine adopting the wreaths and boughs and uh, <laughs> extend it no further. Yep. Yeah. Also, sorry, I set up an improv <laughs> situation without <laughs> saying so beforehand and without, frankly, fully realizing I was going to do it myself. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Joy- I didn't know this was a Christmas-themed episode because, uh, <laughs> like, I don't associate this particular person with uh, the arrival of, of one Jesus Christ. Yeah. But, uh... Also, we're recording this in July. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's true. Uh, I, listeners... <laughs> I'm kidding, that's a lie. <laughs> yeah, well, I feel like our listeners know we have not been ahead of schedule lately. Uh, particularly. Look, we like to be of the moment. Uh, you know, we like to live in the now, go with the flow. And uh, speaking of going with the flow, uh, joining us for the first time, of course. Uh, sorry, I'm going to take that again. That sucked. Uh, speaking of going with the flow, uh, living in the moment, being in the now, uh, join us for the first time, the host of Pulp, a brand new audio fiction podcast. Please welcome Josiah Bannerman, please. <laughs> perfect i mean there is going to be a strong f- actually no i realize now i wrote the fiction element so there is going to be a fiction element to the show later Wait, on. hang on i realized um, that i wasn't recording for that i'm gonna do that. i'm gonna do that oh, no. again <laughs> welcome to pulp oh shit wrong show <clears throat> perfect sorry about that i was trying to uh record i was trying to connect a bluetooth to uh, so to my other thing, so I could hear my my mm-hmm. recording. But yeah, you know, no, no, never mind. Please don't that part out. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, you're joining us after a whole mess of technical issues, uh, so we might be a little slap happy by now. Um, yeah, but and you know, uh, even though it's December, by the time you're hearing this, uh, our last episode was a Halloween episode mm-hmm. that came out in November. It's just been a we've got weddings and children and uh we started this when we were like 22 and now we're in our mid-30s and things are (laughs) things are different (laughs) our bodies are failing us and Yeah. yeah uh but on the plus side uh we all have something to celebrate this december uh and that is that henry kissinger is still dead um so, Permanently, assumedly. Um, well, I, would hope. I don't know what kind <laughs> yeah. of deal he made with the devil, so I make no assumptions. <laughs> I don't either. You know, I assumed he was permanently alive for a while there. And, uh, you know, maybe he can renege on death. <laughs> well, like I, I he mean, did on I literally every The con. devil would be like... Well, like, like he reneged <laughs> on literally every treaty that he ever signed. Yeah, I was going to say. 
Even the devil would be like, oh, no, I... Wait, that's not a good... Oh, this doesn't seem like a good idea to me. (laughs) Oh, man. The devil and Batman. Very, very similar. (laughs) um, In a lot of ways. They both have horns. Um, They both... They both fight the Joker. Very, very rich. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Both have... Yeah, I I got nothing. Uh, <laughs> have an arsenal of weapons in the garage. Yes. <laughs> um, live in a cave underground. I'm just saying. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, <laughs> yep. Often yep. portrayed as suit wearing businessmen. You know. Yeah. 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 Plenty. Plenty of connections there. Oh man, has. I'm trying to think if any, like, Batman actors have portrayed the devil in a movie. Jack Nicholson. Oh, almost certainly. Jack Nicholson. I don't actually know. I'm just assuming that Jack Nicholson has. Jack Nicholson... But Jack Nicholson played the Joker. He didn't play Batman. Oh, that's true. Oh, fuck. Um, Michael... It feels like Michael Keaton would have at some point, but I can't summon what it might be. Val Kilmer? I I could see Clooney doing it. Val Kilmer may have, but it went, like, straight to video. I could see Christian Bale doing it. Like, American Psycho Basically is... Basically the devil. Not that he did yeah. play Dick Cheney. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, Zach, uh, why don't you, uh, why don't you uh, let the listeners know oh, what they're going to be in yes. for? Uh, this is a comedy history podcast where we talk about comedy and history two flavors that don't generally go well together um but uh yeah we're uh we're talking this particular episode about uh um you know we're talking we've we've sort of been building up to um some you know mexican revolution stuff Mm -hmm. and uh uh, I'm interested to see the flow here because yes. this is not the connection here is not what I'm previously familiar with because we're talking about kind of have a, a heavy hitter from history. Um, one of your favorite movie stars of 2023, along with Robert J. Oppenheimer <laughs> and some people who made apps who got movies made about them. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, it's Napoleon Bonaparte. That's right. Uh, and yeah, uh, someone we've neglected to cover so far in all these years. And I think there is, there yeah, is a connection I, between the Mexican Revolution and I, I think we can make it. I think we can make it. There I mean there is I certainly hope so. A through line cert- between like the whole age of Atlantic revolutions that go from you know the French Revolution through like Mexico and then back to Russia, but he, the, the connection is like we we have been talking about doing this one for a minute, and then the uh, WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes ended. Um, so we can talk about movies also. So there's a movie tie-in. Yeah. And there's also that uh, the, as I mentioned before, in the Mexican Revolution uh, miniseries, I am very into the Mexican Revolution. And so I am I have been overdoing it with planning. Uh, and so... This works out perfectly. Um, but yes, we will be talking about Napoleon Bonaparte. Um, Josiah, you'll be doing the real history. 
and I will be doing the alternate. Uh-huh. So, Josiah, whenever, whenever you are ready, take it away. All right, all right. <clears throat> I want you to picture a scene in your mind, in the theater of your mind. Mm-hmm. You're at a party. Mm-hmm. You've had maybe two, three, seven drinks. Mm-hmm. You ask, you yeah, ask, very you ask some stranger, name three battles of the Napoleonic era. Then, mm-hmm. also being drunk and not having the capacity to think too critically, what do you think they would say? Uh, Waterloo, and then they'd probably lose the th- the the threat. Okay. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then they might either vomit into. <laughs> probably whatever handbag i'm using and then yeah i don't go to a lot of parties i don't know i don't have a lot of reference points i'd probably guess uh yeah waterloo trafalgar and then somebody would probably just mention russia which the whole russia thing which which is such a uh an anglo we like we have a very anti-french anglophone version of the entire era right yes and part of that is that you don't actually get the military brilliance of napoleon and Mm -hmm. now my personal entrance in uh, interest in napoleon i do a lot of uh union organizing so for me Mm -hmm. all warfare is a universal language and class warfare is no different Mm -hmm. so studying military tactics and, and strategy informs strategy when, when you're talking about organizing workers and fighting back against bosses and, and, and capital. So, and for me, I think the Napoleonic era provides the best metaphors for that. Uh, and at the same time as learning from Napoleon's victories, you can also learn from his mistakes. Um, that said, uh, he was born in Corsica to minor Corsican nobility uh, during the time when, when Corsica was building towards Corsican independence from, at this time, Genoa. <laughs> yes. And this was back before Italy was a thing. Right, and... right. And I don't even, I haven't looked at a map recently, but I'm pretty sure it's still under French, uh, it's still within French borders. Um, so yes. his, his family, uh, sent him off to military school uh, in Brienne, where he was. <laughs> I don't get the name because I'm not French. I don't speak French, uh, but they called it. They called him something that, that it was a pun on his last name that meant through the nose because he had a big nose that didn't look right. Um, so, I I reject the whole Napoleon complex being th- uh, related to his height. Um, he actually he actually was pretty normal sized guy, uh, but he was always pictured around. His imperial guard, who were big ass dudes wearing bearskin fucking hats. Um, <laughs> That's what I've been saying, but... basically since what sophomore year? Because <laughs> five seven, totally totally normal height in the early eighteen hundreds. Are you five seven? Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought so. Um, yeah, so yeah. here's here's where I think the Napoleon complex comes in is he was mocked mercilessly and dude was a fucking mm-hmm. nerd like an obnoxious arrogant little know-it-all brat they had a snow fight at yeah. school 
and he built like a fort and organized its defense. It's a fucking snow <laughs> fight, you doy. Like you, you, you make a bunch of snowballs. You throw it at your friends. You make a team. You betray your teammate at the at the most hilarious moment. He starts throwing snowballs at you. Everybody starts throwing snowballs at each other. That's how snowball fights work. Dude was not. Yeah. So I, I think like, and, and come on, like if you look, if you look at all the shit he did lately, and if you, and if you think of that in the ter- in the. Uh, Framed by his experience in school, I bet he at every single victory he was like, "I bet that fucking school bully regrets that now." <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, absolutely, abso- fucking, not related to his like, height, but definitely not, not a thing. Um, I feel like everyone also went to at least elementary or middle school with a kid like that who was very almost worryingly into the military um shout out andy um (laughs) i haven't seen you in the news so i i'll take that as a good sign right although to be fair it's a military school that he went to so throw the kid a bone um but still but still kind of obnoxious brat And, and you know like yeah forget it um (laughs) <laughs> so here's the thing like when he was growing up there was this revolutionary leader that was um uh working toward it was he was the he was the the corsican revolutionary of the day he was romanticized in britain mm-hmm. uh, pasquale paoli and um mm-hmm. once the revolution hits uh napoleon you know he's he's a young a young adult now he's he's his own man he applies for leave to go back home. And this is the early days of the revolution, and they kind of don't give a shit. Um, they just let him go. And he just keeps applying for an extension, and they're like, uh, yeah, sure, go for it. Um, <laughs> and, and he's just like, all right, cool. Uh, he gets, like, embroiled in Corsican, in a Corsican independent civil war type thing where Pauli comes back, but he's not the revolutionary that everyone thought he was. He was he's kind of this liberal sellout um yeah and they it's there's this funny story where napoleon and his brother joseph joseph uh and pauli go tour pauli's uh, old battlefields and napoleon lectures him on what he did wrong <laughs> like he he is always going to be that he is dude, always going like, to be his whole that life. dude and like Keep in mind, at this point, Napoleon had never commanded anything in a battle yet. Like this, he had not commanded anything. Um, anyway, so shit. If you've ever, like me, if you've ever worked as a barista and had someone tell you exactly how to make or exactly how you are about to fuck up the drink they ordered, you know this sort of Oh, yeah. In like... Yeah. In microcosm. I had a neat workaround when I was a barista for that. Um, whenever I kind of got the vibe that they were going to give me a lecture on how to do my job, uh, I would, like, they would be like, I like a latte, please. And, I, and I'd be like, all right, cool. Uh, uh, what's a latte? <laughs> and then, like, you, you can see the panic in their face. And then as they're explaining to me, a barista, what a latte is, you start to see acceptance 
just emerge <laughs> in their facial expression. I like that. Like they're just resigned. Like I'm gonna have a shitty cup of coffee today. My day is ruined. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this away on my way out. That's... And I'm gonna accept whatever shit they have in the in the curing. And then while I'm while I... this is this is why. Well, it's not the only reason why, but every time I get coffee from a coffee place, my order is literally just, I want a medium drip coffee. Yep. End of story. <laughs> but here's the thing. I like to think that I've gifted them the gift of gratitude. Uh, because once I, I want, after I interrupted them, I'm like, okay, I know what it, I know what a latte is. What do you want? You want skinny? You want fat? You want a lot of foam? What do you want? Um, then all of a sudden they're grateful for whatever they get. Like as long as it's not terrible, mm -hmm. they're grateful for the coffee they have that day. And I, I think I, I, that's my oh. contribution to their life. My, my great contribution to their life is one of gratitude. I, I, it's not a, my, my reasoning is less a, I think just a regular ass coffee is all you really need in my personal opinion. True. But B, there are people who truly take so fucking long with their orders in those lines. Like, I know mm -hmm. that's a 15 year old, like stand up comedy joke, but it's like, <laughs> man, you don't got to take this amount of time to tell this person all your fucking picadillos about how you want your coffee. It's fucking coffee. Just get a fucking cup of coffee. I will accept. It's one of the oldest drinks in existence. Like, just get a fucking. I will coffee. accept alternate milk, but after that, it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, oh, man. Anyway, so because of the revolution, uh, there's well, pre-revolutionary uh, France, French, the French military was bloated with officers. Like they had, because it, like, they had more nobles essentially than positions in the army so and the army was a way <laughs> to kind of further your aristocratic career so you know because mm -hmm. somebody's cousin is like hey can i get a spot in the military and they're like yeah sure we'll make you a lieutenant general along with the 10 other we have for this fucking regiment um <laughs> so when the revolution hits all these guys just fuck off to neighboring countries that um so it allowed for a vacuum for a lot of folks like Napoleon to just be like, all right, I'm just going to sit here. I'm, I'm literally rising through the ranks while I'm on vacation for three years. Um, yeah. And he also had a... If, if he was alive today, he'd be making like YouTube hustle, hustle grind set videos about like <laughs> passive... Passive income, yeah. Passive promotion. Passive promotion yeah. is exactly what this is. He also has a, a benefactor named Salicetti, which gets him into, into all sorts of like drama, but there's not much on that, that's that's a whole fucking miniseries. Um, it's like an, it's like an episode of the Borges. Like just uh, it's just it's just a fucking mess. Um, he ends up getting in he, he ends up getting an assignment um, when the port city of Toulon um, revolts against the revolutionary government and turns it over to the British. Um, for some reason, the revolutionary government wasn't happy about that, and they sent an army. Um, and Napoleon kind of masked... Well, to be fair, they weren't happy about a lot That's of things. That's true. Over, that is true. Of... Uh... Notably short-tempered. <laughs> and disorganized. Not the... Um, and um, So, he masterminds the retaking of Toulon, um, 
And, you know, he gets a little bit of recognition, but he also kind of squanders it. He, he, he just, he refuses to serve in the Vendée, which is a reactionary civil war in the, in the West. Um, I, a fucking mess. Oh absolute my shit show. If- um, and at some point in this process, I forget when, he writes a short story that gets picked up by Augustine Robespierre. And mm-hmm. that might have been actually why he got the uh, assignment at Toulon. I don't remember. Um, but that's what really, really picks up. And it's really interesting at this point because uh, Napoleon, at this stage in his life, was a really, really ardent Jacobin. And one of the things that ra- mm-hmm. that radicalized him was this book called the the it, I forget what it's exactly called, but it, it refers to the two Hades, and it, and it basically makes a case that any colonial yes. um, the, the the case something about the two Indies, and, and it makes the case that the Indies should be should be self um, governing and and independent. And at this point, Napoleon is all in on this, and we'll get to that later. <clears throat> And I'm sure I'm sure that'll be a consistent position he holds through well he Till the end. Till the power. bitter end. Yeah. He'll never compromise on Haiti. <clears throat> so he uh, gets an assignment in the Bureau of Topography. Fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's actually kind of interesting because this is when he studies the topography of Italy. Um, which is gonna going to give him a little bit of a, a power up later um <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> he's investing points in italian typography yeah. but then he's going to unlock some special sp- spells to yeah cast yeah later on <laughs> i cast river crossing um <laughs> so he also is engaged to desiree clary uh, who breaks off his the, the engagement uh, because he's weird and off-putting. Um, <laughs> but here's the twist, is that she's her sister is married to his brother, Joseph, which is awkward already. Uh, but she ends up marrying this dude, Jean Bernadotte, which we'll talk about him later, but that, that mm-hmm. makes for some awkward shit later. Uh, you know what? Fuck it. I'm talking about it now. Yeah. So Bernadotte was one of his marshals later on, and he yeah he had moments of brilliance. He was a good general, but he also had moments where he just fucked off and didn't do what he was supposed to do. And when he did that, yep. um, Napoleon fucking tore him a new one every goddamn time. Like, and he didn't really reward him when he did good. Uh, he just like when he fucked up, Napoleon ripped into him. And I'm just gonna say, it's a little suspicious. That dude marries your ex, and you always give him a bad performance <laughs> review at work. Just saying. Also, <laughs> weird turn of events. Bernadotte becomes the king of Sweden. Um, yep. And when he, at the at the end, when everybody's just like dogpiling Napoleon, he uh, fucks off then too. Like he just sometimes just yep. he just fucked up, I, and you know I gotta admire his work ethic for just you know taking care of his mental health. You know. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's yeah, John yeah, Baptiste, exactly. Bernard, John Baptiste, I, whatever. They're, they're all John Baptiste something. Um, it's also at this time that Napoleon loses his virginity to a prostitute. Um, I will so say I, similar to the coffee thing. I will say similar to the coffee thing. I have also had like people who are technically above me in like the work chain of command who are so relentlessly critical all the time and micromanaging and there's fucking nothing. There's fucking nothing worse. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't even make you like 
monarch of a of a Scandinavian country. <laughs> right? Yeah, like it's it's the one guy who like you have shifts with different people, but there's one guy. Yeah. One guy where every time you're with him, you're like, Jesus fucking Christ, I have to deal with all this shit. <laughs> so after he loses his virginity to a prostitute, he becomes the uh, captain of the guard for um, the uprising of 13 Vandemier, which was kind of uh, very uh, subversively supported by the Allies. Um it was a reactionary coup against the French government at the time. Uh, Napoleon uh, just opened fire with cannons. Um, the reactionaries ran away, and they rewarded and arguably saved the French government from a reactionary coup. And they rewarded him with camp, with the the command of the army of Italy. Um, right after he marries the love of his life, Josephine. Um, Ah, uh, Josephine. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, so let's introduce Josephine for a little bit. Uh, she made it through the terror uh, because she married her, her husband got guillotined. Yeah. Um, she made it through by the skin of her teeth. Her and her, her son, who uh, ended up being one of Napoleon's best generals, actually. They have a really um, interesting mm-hmm. step stepfather, stepson relationship. Um, but anyway... Uh, at this point... Sometimes Nepo babies work out. Right, yeah. right. It, uh, yeah. Um, and I'm not going to go too deep into their relationship, but they have this weird... They're one of those people that if you're just, they're just like, look, if y'all had just had an open relationship, it'd be fine. Like, you know, <laughs> yes. like those, those people, like, guys, it's not like... Enough of the jealousy, enough of the possessiveness. Just like have an open relationship. It's cool. So, just just it, you're in France, right? Like. <laughs> right. Um, so Josephine, uh, it has a, a, a notorious sexual appetite, uh, which is a problem when Napoleon is on tour. Uh, sorry, uh, military campaigns. Um, on tour. Yeah. <laughs> La Eros Tour. So, you know, she cheats on him because she's, you know, bored and horny, and he cheats on her in re- with revenge, and also because he's the most powerful man in Europe, and it's just this this yeah. cycle of revenge cheating, and like just guys, like just like ha- like peace swingers, it's fine. Um, but at this point, they're both so infatuated with each other that they really make they they weird out his officers. Um. <laughs> Again. If you have worked in any sort of environment with other people, you know you know these people. Right. Um, like, there's a story about him and his chief of staff, Berthier, uh, and they're in the carriage together with Josephine, and him and Josephine are just, like, making out, and, and Bessier is, is, or not Bessier, uh, Berthier is just, like, like, sitting there awkwardly in the carriage, just, like, the third wheel while these people are making out. Like, he's just like, this is, <laughs> this is weird, guys. Uh, and I do not know what to do. I do not know what to do. This is this is France, but it's not in a carriage. No one knows this in a carriage. Um, <laughs> we do it in the streets. Uh, it smells like a horse. <laughs> so it's get it. My French is getting really out of hand. Yeah, our French is going to merge into Italian at some point. Um, <laughs> so he takes command of the army of Italy, and in this campaign. 
basically wins the war by himself. He, he splits the, the Austrians and Piedmontese, defeats the Piedmontese, um, imposes a, a, a treaty where he actually, this is, this is one of parts of his brilliance. He, in the treaty, says, I want this, these two river crossings, doesn't even use them. Um, but he knows that if it's in the treaty, the Austrians are going to guard those. Uh, mm-hmm. So he defeats Beaulieu. I don't know why the Austrian general has a French name, but whatever. Um, and here's here's the, the beginning of his of his legend, is the Battle of Lodi, where there's a bridge that's just raked mm-hmm. by gunfire. And, you know, it's it's kind of, it's, it's a beginning of his legend because there's a story about him carrying the flag into this withering gunfire when really, like, he just carried the, he started the charge and they all, like, got charged after him, got shot. Um, but it was really, it was really <laughs> just, like, he, he charged enough men and, it, and, and won the battle. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. a, a stunning victory. Um, so then he besieges Mantua. Um, and a new general, uh, Dagobert von Wurmser, comes down. And he, and he he splits his forces between also a, a Scott Adams character, <laughs> right? Right. Mm. Um, and he splits his forces between the lake. Napoleon uh, abandons the siege of Mantua, defeats one column, and then swings back and defeats the other. And this is uh, we're going to call back to this in, in Waterloo, but this is one of his one of his uh, um, tra- trademark moves. Also, fun fact. Napoleon III defeated an Austrian army in the wars for Italian independence at this exact site. Um, Interesting. Which, if you're ever drunk at a party... It'll it'll get to something... If you're ever drunk at a party (laughs) talking about Napoleon, uh, you're welcome. Um, Look, I'm usually drunk talking about Napoleon, but by myself. (laughs) So that's... uh... So he goes back, uh, resumes the Siege of Mantua... Another guy, like, this is just, like, he just keeps beating boss after boss after boss. Like, he's already defeated three armies. He's got his fourth. Um, and at this point, he's he's running low on troops. Uh, do, does another fake river crossing. Um, over a three-day battle at the Battle of Arcole. Uh, he, this is where another... Uh, moment where the, the legend of Napoleon carrying the flag across the bridge comes out. Uh, it, so he's got these men about to cross the bridge. Again, withering fire, uh, and he picks up the flag and urges the men on, and they uh, sit there. Um, <laughs> and of course, the paintings have them, them rushing across following him. Didn't happen. Uh, this is a whole complicated battle. Really, really interesting, but uh, he just crosses the river downstream. Um, then, uh, same, same. This is the final boss, Albinci. Uh, attacks again. He stops him at Rivoli. Rivoli. Like with, oh, he he is he is outmatched here. Essentially, he lets uh, Albinci break his line until his troops are exhausted, and then when when reinforcements come routes the enemy army at this point his Austrian nemesis Prince Charles takes command but Charles is now outmatched um, and the armies in the north are kicking ass and Napoleon just stomps his way through to his the first time he takes Vienna and um, and that was his first Italian his first campaign 
in Italy. And this is the moment, and, oh, here's, here's the thing that I love about this, is, it's the drama. In the middle of this campaign, mm. Josephine joins him, and she's got her first lover. Like, so at, while, and you can, Napoleon's got to know, right? Everybody knows. So she's got a lover, she's cheating on him. Meanwhile, he's just 360 no-scoping the Austrians all around Italy. <laughs> like, that's, that is some, that is some drama right there. Like, I, I'm just saying. Anyway. Truly just a guy who, uh, always on the leaderboard for, you know, the Korean League and StarCraft. <laughs> <laughs> like, his whole life, you know. He knows he knows exactly when to use the bait. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so that ends the first coalition. Uh, but England is still in the game, right? And to fuck off to fuck to fuck up England, uh, Napoleon comes up with this idea to invade Egypt, um, interrupt Britain's <laughs> trade with uh, India. Where I think at this point, uh, Wellington is um, killing Indians in the British Raj. Uh, fuck that guy. Um, yeah. So, and and the 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 French government at this point is like, well, this Napoleon guy is kind of um, we don't like him. We like him, but we don't like him. Uh, he's he kind of he's kind of a threat. So yeah, let's send him to Egypt. Um, and so he tries to wage a hearts and minds campaign. Uh, always, always goes always goes swimmingly. Always the thing that is possible to do. And it's not a bad idea in this case because Egypt at this point is run by the Mamelukes, who are just this like it's 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 the mafia, um, and the 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 rank and file population don't really like them. Uh, but Napoleon. Routes them at the battle, the, the battle of the pyramids. I mean, it was close enough to the pyramids, but whatever. Um, really, just and he has no cavalry, and he beats them by forming most of his army in squares, which is this Napoleon. Um, mo it's not uh, strictly Napoleonic, but if your your infantry forms squares, and there's usually cannons at the corners, um, and so the whole point of cavalry is to outflank the enemy. So they can't outflank a square, and they usually just die. Uh, and the Mamluks' armies were mostly cavalry at this time, uh, so they, it was it was it was no contest. Um, so he beats he beats the Mamluks. They're out of power, but nobody likes Napoleon either. Um, yeah. Well, which also fun story. Uh, at this point, Napoleon, I mean, because he's waging a hearts and minds campaign, and he doesn't want the uh, Muslim population seeing his soldiers drinking all the time, right? Um, yes. and, but they're French. Uh, so they have to do something. Yes. Um, so they smoke a lot of hashish. Um, yeah. Yeah. Napoleon's, Which, Napoleon's army of Egypt was high as fuck. Um. True to almost all military experiences <laughs> on expeditionary forces, uh, down to today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh. It's uh, surprisingly often difficult for people to yeah. watch mass violence every single yeah. day yeah. without some kind of crutch. Weird. Weird how that happens. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> I have no idea. I have anyway, no idea where I'm going. Our sponsor this episode is Diet Pills. Uh, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Um, uh, obviously, fuck them. But the rate of suicide among Nazis committing war crimes was pretty fucking high. Yeah. <laughs> Which, a little too late, but... Yeah. Still got... You know, never mind. I'm yeah. going to leave that alone. Um, so... Yeah. Uh, speaking of war crimes, uh, Napoleon goes <laughs> goes off and uh, as a failed siege of Acre and kills a lot of civilians. Uh, fuck that guy, um, and blocks the an English invasion of uh, of Syria. And you know this is a last ditch effort for his Egyptian campaign uh, because the uh, British blew up his his navy. The Battle of the Nile, mm-hmm. um, and which is and there's an interesting uh, story where the, the French flagship just blows up, and the battle just kind of pauses, and sailors on both sides are like, "Hey, we got to get these guys out," because they were first and foremost sailors, and they're like, "I mean, we'll kill each other in the battle, but this is fucked up, man." Um, anyway, so he also hears that. Uh, Oh, I forgot to mention that he had an affair at some point with one of his officers' wives. Um, yeah. I forgot about that. Anyway, one of the, the more more of this back and forth between him and Joseph. You guys, just be swingers. Um, so he also hears about uh, how French government is really disorganized. Um, and oh, and because of his invasion of Egypt, the gang gets back together and the. Second coalition forms, and all of Europe is united against France again. Egypt was a terrible idea for so many reasons. So he takes his best officers and fucks off back to Egypt, or to, back to France. Leaves his men is like, and leaves leaves this like bullshit, hilariously bullshit message about you have defeated the Mamluks, you've triumphed in Syria. No, they didn't. Um, and I will be with you in spirit. And he's gone. Um, <laughs> it's it's so it's almost very it's sort of funny to me just how crass and obvious it is that he's just like pulling a uh, a camp crusty sort of right? thing oh and this exp- expedition because he was uh it was a hearts and minds and he brought a bunch of uh academics and and scholars and yes. and um uh engineers and whatever uh, because this isn't colonialism, and he's not saying, "Oh, it's for your benefit that I'm invading you." I'm seeing I'm building bridges. Um, he, all of these archaeologists, archaeologists find the Rosetta Stone, and it's in the uh, British Museum of Plunder. I mean, uh, um, National Museum, <laughs> uh, not the French, because the, they eventually trapped the French. Um, I think Alexandria. Uh, Anyway, so he, he, he uh, at the behest of, I believe, Talleyrand and Paul Barat, um, mm-hmm. it takes part in the coup of Brumaire. Now, I, what I love about this is Napoleon understands that he's kind of the muscle man here, and it's not going to happen without him. So he negotiates that he's basically going to be the executive of this uh, new government. Um, and he's like, guys, if you want to yeah. do this... You're gonna make me president. Um, so he establishes yep. the, the the consulate, 
uh, which basically makes him essentially a dictator, but it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's this hybrid dictatorship republic. Um, yeah. There's enough kayfabe around right. that, like, yeah. And, and it's at, the, at this point that we kind of see the uh, Republican vision um, of the revolution kind of come to a little bit of fruition because, well, because he oversees the, the uh, construction of the Napoleonic Code, which is, is kind of why, like a lot of these reforms are why the French Revolution uh, started in the first place, was efficient bureaucracy. Um, and, and the Napoleonic Code kind of did that in a lot of ways. Left women completely in the dust because at the end of the day, Napoleon is an awkward little incel. Um, but yes, but it fulfills a lot of the the, um, the early liberal goals of the revolution. So when, when Napoleon says, I am the revolution, there is like, I mean, he's an enlightened despot at best, but there is a little bit of truth to that in the Napoleonic Code, as, as complicated as it is. Sure. Um, he also ends the war of the Second Coalition uh, by taking credit for Marengo, um, which is a complicated story. Um, but, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't one of his best victories, but he played it off as it, as it, as it was. And then after winning Marengo and ending the Second Coalition, he promptly, uh, remember how we were talking about how he will never compromise his views on Haiti? He promptly goes and tries to enslave the Haitians again um, by sending the dude that he yeah. marries off to his sister because he's embarrassed about how sexually liberated his sister is. Uh, again, woman hating incel. Um, and they all fuck off and die um, because, yes. free, <laughs> because free Haiti, motherfuckers. Um, oh, man. the in it, Like I've talked about in our Mexican Revolution series how much I love the Mexican Revolution. Haitian is also right up there with so many of those moments because, man, a lot of a lot of people try repeatedly to fuck over Haiti and then lose and then end up winning for generations and generations. Um, this episode is brought to you by Revolutions Podcast. Um, yes. <laughs> so, um, Britain. Oh, right, and then he. Um, because he's he's really top dog in France, he he conducts a poll that says, "Hey, would you like me to be emperor?" And surprise, surprise, everybody's like, "Yes, we would." <laughs> so he crowns himself emperor of the French, uh, and that pisses off everybody else in Europe. Um, yep. and, and again, Britain has never uh, declared, never signed a treaty since the beginning of the Revolutionary Wars. Uh, so they're basically bribing all of they're, they're willing participants but they but they, they'll take the money he bribes like sweden and austria and russia and prussia um and this starts the war of the third coalition which kind of starts by austrian general mac uh just leroy jenkinsing into southern germany and <laughs> napoleon uh, draws him out and surrounds him and, and it like takes an entire army prisoner. One of his most fantastic victories. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's one, like he, he screens with cavalry um, and does a faint retreat while coming around his back and, and he tries this multiple times. He tries this again in the Russian campaign. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, I don't, nobody cares. Um, and then 
catches up with both the Austrians and the Russians after he takes Vienna for a second time uh, and sleeps in the Emperor's Palace, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> um, That's the move. Right? Uh, again, like, again, he's the guy in Call of Duty that, like, teabags you after he shoots you. You know what I mean? Um, yes. <laughs> so he he gets him he, he faces off with two other imperial armies and uh plays it off like he's like you know, guys i really don't want to fight we sign a treaty and they're like no um we want to fight uh that's uh francis of austria it's not the russian one. um <laughs> And so he weakens his right flank where his reinforcements are coming and the allies take the bait uh, and they, and they come off the high ground. He attacks in the middle, splits the army in two, captures half of their armies. And this effectively, this battle effectively ends the Holy Roman empire. Um, I mean, Francis saw the writing on the wall. It was, it was already useless anyway. Um, But he, he, takes a huge chunk out of the Holy Roman Empire as well, called the Confederation of the Rhine. Which, by the way, um, I want to. This is this episode is also brought to you by my cheese shop, Confederation of the Rhine. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's and of course also uh, Holy Roman Empire. A, a lot of this would lead, you know, a few decades later to the creation of Germany as like. A unified nation. Um, and that's going to end well. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, I, I had another restaurant. Um, it was a Greek restaurant. Uh, it didn't go well. It wasn't great, but it was the Euro we deserve. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> God damn. <laughs> so uh, Prussia is still in the game. And uh, the, the campaign against Prussia is like two bad poker players. Um, because Prussia is... <laughs> Prussia just doesn't know what they're doing. Their their move, their army is fucking slow. Their, their their generals are old and petty, and uh, they don't they, they don't nobody knows where each other is. Um, so the, the battle of Vienna is a fucking mess. Uh, Napoleon thinks he's fighting the the French army. The the or, or Napoleon thinks he's fighting the Prussian army. The whole Prussian army. Uh, the whole Prussian army is thinks they're fighting just a little bit, and um, he he. He just pushes the he just pushes the Prussians off the board. Just not not a problem. Uh, Davout and Bernadotte uh, are trying to come from the north, uh, but they actually run into the entire Prussian army. And by they, I mean Davout because Bernadotte fucks off and has a vacation. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you're good, if you're gonna pick a time to do that, that's a great time. Right when your when your buddy is. Very uh, prototype. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the best time to do it is uh, when your when your buddy is surrounded. Uh, right after he <laughs> does that, he is like, you know what? I'm kind of bored. Um, Portugal's still in the game, I guess, and they're not joining the continental system. And also, uh, I don't know. I don't like Spain, um, who had been his ally at this time, <laughs> and and. and I, I, I do think that the the Bourbon royalty in 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 Spain really did kind of uh, offend Napoleon's 
whatever Republican sensibilities he had left. Um, because that's the thing is is don't get me wrong, Napoleon is is a a, a despotic imperial bastard, but he did kind of leave uh, sister republics wherever he conquered, um, and that and that did usher in a political a series of political. I mean that. You could you could argue that the Napoleonic occupation of most of Europe set the stage for the, the revolutions of 1848, um, and so well, and there's also like, sorry, there's also at this time like still Bourbon restorationists, Bourbon restorationists, you know, even probably in France still work, working to get uh, was it. Louis the Eighteenth at this time, or was it Charles the Tenth? It was one of them. One of them <laughs> um, returned to the throne, and so having a Bourbon kingdom, like as an ally right to your southwest, yeah, is yeah, yeah a dicey proposition, right? Right. Um, but you know, to his, I mean, okay, Napoleon is also the guy that plays a strategy game for the battles. And uh, yes, just loses the diplomacy part, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, just doesn't know how to play diplomacy. Uh, one of the the, the um, big things about diplomacy at the time, which I don't want to get too much into because um, it's boring, uh, <laughs> is that like you have to have compensation for your losses. Napoleon doesn't give a shit. He's like, no, give me right. half of your shit, and I'm not, I'm not going to give you anything. Um, deal with it. So he invades Portugal, and by he, I mean he sends his general to. Um, and that that doesn't end well. He also forces the the uh, there's some internal um, strife in Spain. He takes advantage of that, forces the king to ab- abdicate. In his favor, he gives the throne to his brother, Joseph. Um, And that doesn't go over well with the Spanish people. Um, Mm -hmm. This is arguable. And so Napoleon attempts to occupy Spain. It's this whole, Spain, the continental, the Peninsular War is this entire back and forth. So he tries to occupy them. They push him mostly out. He reinvades them. Um, At at some, I, I can't remember if it's the beginning or the middle of his first campaign. Uh, but a French army is entirely surrounded by Len. And this signals to the Allies that France is weak. So Austria and, mm-hmm. and Austria's back in the game. They're like, hey, we want we want we, we want our, our rooms back. Um, and <laughs> uh, so Napoleon, there, there's this interesting story about the Battle of Soma Sierra, that there's this Spanish battery in his way. And um, he's got Polish lancers because um, Poland fucking loves Napoleon at this time. They, they are all in. Yeah. They, they they love the guy, and these are these are liberal um, Polish nationalists who are like, hey, he gave us our country back essentially. So that this this yeah, enti- like the entire battle is really won by one like twenty seven Polish guys that just Le- like Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> The, this the, the center of the Spanish line, and you know, you could say it's a Napoleonic victory, but that one goes to the Polish. That that's that's on the Polish chalk scoreboard. Yeah. Um, 
So at this point, he puts sends his, puts his army back in the control of one of his marshals, and he fucks off back to uh, France to invade Austria again. Um, <laughs> sir, I I don't know much about the battle of Eichmann, so we're gonna skip that. But he wins, um, and then gets it, it waltzes through Austria again. Or not Austria, uh, Vienna. Well, Vienna is not Austria. Walks through Vienna again, uh, and Archduke uh, Charles, who had been modernizing his army to look like Napoleon, um, trap do, does a reverse Friedland uh, from the battle that he won against Russia. Traps him against the river, blows up the bridge, and sat to uh, Napoleon's chagrin. He loses his one of his best marshals, Marshal Lamb. And I'm going to go back. I'm going to do a call back to Battle of Eylau. Uh, at this point, because this is really when you start to see the deterioration of Napoleon's army. After Eilau, yes. like his army was never the same. Like at the at the start of the War of the Third Coalition, um, at the battles of Ulm and Austerlitz, you could argue that any one of his uh, armies or, or units could go toe to toe with their counterpart in any other army in in Europe. Um, I would argue even even the the world except for the Maratha Confederacy um, and and win. At this point, it's not, he's lost a lot of his good officers. He's starting to lose some of his best marshals um, and his his elite troops are not as elite anymore. Um, so he regroups, fights the Battle of Vagram, literally on the same battlefield that he lost uh, like six, uh, two months earlier. Um, and this is the last successful campaign, uh, other than the mini campaign at the, at the end, um, because this is this is when he starts. This is the beginning of the end. Uh, but he, at the, for the for the for the time, he consolidates uh, his power in Europe, and then Spain just bleeds him. This is his Vietnam. He he can't he can't yes. end it, and he can't win it. Um, and, and and this is where we tie into the Mexican Revolution, because. It's the inability of the Spanish monarchy to govern their co- colonies in South America um, that gives that makes for the opening for the Bolivarian revolutions. Um, mm-hmm. If if they if that happened without Napoleon's invasion, you could argue that and that it would not have happened for at least uh, it might it that might south america might might still be staying i doubt it um i doubt it it, it would it would survive the, the revolutionary wave the it certainly would not have been independent right by the time it it wouldn't have it been bolivar yeah um who idolized napoleon until his coronation as emperor like he was in france yes. at the time and uh, while there was celebrations in the streets, he shut his windows. He was like, nah, fuck this guy. He's an emperor now. Um, yeah. Beethoven, yeah. similar. Yeah. I, what was it? So the fifth that was supposed to be for Napoleon? And he's like, nah, this ain't. This is, ah, okay. Yeah, and he scratched his name off. And he's like, fuck this guy. Um, mm-hmm. So the Peninsular War is this massive back and forth. Um, and when he beats the, Rus- the Austrians at Bagram, he looks at Russia and he's like, look, we were allies and y'all did not back me up. What the fuck? Um, but this takes a while. <laughs> this takes a little bit to, to brew. And after a while, after they're not participating in his in his little club, the Continental System, he's like, look, 
I gotta give you a good punch in the nose. So he gives him a good punch in the nose, and it backfires and punches him in the face. Um, and here's the thing about the uh, um, the Russia campaign, is that he actually won the battle of, the, the decisive battle of the campaign. He won Bordeno. He won Smolensk. Um, I mean, it was, it, he, it, I would, it was a slugging match, and he just like threw all his men at, at, the, at the enemy until he won. But it, he yeah. he won the campaign. It was Russia that that was like, no, nah, we're not. We're just not going to. We're going to burn Moscow, and we're not going to negotiate at all. Um, and he's like, well, fuck. Uh, I guess I'll go home then. Um, but it's winter in Russia, and that doesn't end well. So this is yeah. is is them him circling the drain. He essentially has to raise an entire new army, which is surrounded by uh, all the European nations except for Bernadotte, um, because he's taking a vacation at Leipzig. <laughs> um, and then he takes, well, in 1814, he's taking his last campaign. He takes an army of basically fresh recruits because he's had two armies destroyed at this point. Um I mean, if you ever have time, look up the Six Days campaign. It's pretty fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm. He defeats an army of, I think, 70,000 with an army of 30,000. Yeah, it's, yeah, numbers like that. It's, it's, it's wild. like, like that campaign and the Italy campaign are, is Napoleon at his best. Um, and if you ever want, if you ever want some tips on class warfare, and you want metaphors on that? Study those <laughs> campaigns. Um, Interesting. When I look when I look it up, uh, the dates are February tenth to February fourteenth, which is less than six days. Yeah. See, <laughs> he did it in even less than six days. Over, over, overachiever. Um, and so that this this is this is the end. The end. Um, Wellington has retaken Spain, uh, and his marshals are are like, "Look, buddy, you gotta, you you can't, this isn't gonna go well." So they send him to Elba. This is the first time, uh, and the Bourbon come back, Uh, but turns out they suck. Um, Who would have thought? And he comes, (laughs) he comes back, um, and takes takes over command of it. The shitty army that he left in 1814, in 19, in 1815, and this is the famous Waterloo campaign. He tries to do what he did in the beginning of the Italy campaign, prying apart the Prussians and the Anglo Allied army at the battles of Quatebras and Ligny. Um But he doesn't do it well enough, and this is the this is where the strategy of occupying the center doesn't work really well, uh, because. And, you know, there's a lot of debate about Waterloo, whether or not Napoleon could have won it, whether if he won it, he would have defeated the rest, because, it, like, he had an army of, whatever, 70,000, but he's he's up against these two guys, but there's another uh, Austrian army of, I think, like, hundreds of thousands. Like, it, I don't know. Um, you could argue that it, that, it, that... it was probably never going to go great in the long run. Right, right. Um, so, eh, I don't know. Um... Kind of seems like a last-ditch effort of like, like he he knows it's not going to go well, but this is this is his chance. Like he doesn't he doesn't do well sitting around. Um, mm-hmm. So, and we all know how Waterloo goes, right? 
Um, but still, I would argue that um, it wasn't. And also, fuck Wellington. Um, <laughs> it wasn't that great either. Uh, but no. but the Prussians really won that anyway. So fuck Wellington. He wasn't. He, it's not like he was the, the mastermind of Waterloo. Um, Napoleon was really fighting an uphill battle. But even in, in in Wellington's words, it was a, a damn a damn near thing. Um, <laughs> so Napoleon gets uh, sent off to Saint Helena, one of the most remote islands in the world, because, because yeah. <laughs> they're that terrified of him. Um, and fun fact: uh, on his way to liberate Chile, a certain British, former British admiral Thomas Cochrane, um, he, he's he's on his he's on his way to Chile from Britain. Uh, to take command of the of the Chilean Revolutionary Navy, um, all three ships, uh, and he's like, "Hey, uh, y'all want to pick up Napoleon on Saint Helena on the way? Um, I feel like he could help." Um, <laughs> he didn't know this at the time, but Napoleon was dead by that t- by that time. Um, but I like to point that out. You want a weekend at Bernie's? Napoleon? <laughs> right. It's like the end of El Cid where they prop him up in the saddle. Um, <laughs> uh, but so I, I'd like to use this to illustrate how it, I mean, the monarchies of Europe didn't like Napoleon, but there were a lot of people right. that saw the French revolution and Napoleon as a product of the revolution as a good thing. And don't get me wrong. He, again, he was an enslaving, um, dictatorial, uh, probably narcissistic bastard um, and terrible misogynist, but he's he was also a divisive, divisive figure at the time. Thomas Cochran was one of the, I'd, I'd say, yeah. probably the best British admiral, even over and above Nelson. Um, mm-hmm. And he admired uh, Napoleon. And they, had, they had this weird mutual admiration for each other. Uh, Napoleon was like, because, because Cochran just... What, Cochrane was the, the essentially the Napoleon of the seas. He would go up against anything in a in a little dinghy and win. And Napoleon was like, "Fuck this guy!" But god damn if he ain't good. And Cochrane was like, "Hey, I mean, you know, we're at war, but I kind of like the Republican ideals." Um, there was this weird mutual admiration for the, for, for each other. Um, and then Napoleon died. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, and that was way longer than than the twenty minutes I thought it would be. <laughs> no, that is that is okay. I mean, it's a long story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm... he's one of the most influential figures in in uh, history. In fact, I would I would I would venture to say that uh, I think of the most influential figures of the past three hundred years, Napoleon is the one that I probably he's always been the guy that I'm like, I should know more about this guy. And I just don't Yeah, like, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm relatively well-versed in, in quite a lot of, uh, both, uh, you know, foreign and, uh, domestic figures of influence. Napoleon was always the one where I like, for some reason or another, I just didn't like, that was, I, I, I've, al- I've always felt like I don't know enough. I mean, his impact is is well known, but he himself is kind of overrated. Like, eh. 
Like, as a dude, mm, yeah. meh. Um, I, I even feel like the French Revolution prior to his proper reign is something I have, like, more knowledge about than, yeah. honestly, Napoleon as... We have a hard time pinning down when the end of the French Revolution is. Is it the end of the Napoleonic era? Is yeah, it Napoleon's true. coronation? Is it the coup of Grimaire? Is it... Like, at what point is... And, and at what point... Sure. Is Napoleon not... Louis yeah, execute, like, yeah, like, not like, a... Louis, a mm -hmm. what, at what point is it revolutionary versus Napoleon and, and is the Napoleonic era part of it? And it's, that's, a, that's a whole debate. Yeah. The reign of terror, right. all that stuff, yeah. yeah. Thermidor, um, all, the, all that French shit. <laughs> um, uh, yep. So, um, I have uh, a... Brian? Tell your alternate and tell it relatively quickly because my AirPods are yeah. Down I have to a 10%. family situ I have a family situation <laughs> developing upstairs, so I'm gonna blow through because this. <laughs> uh, this is all uh, post Saint Helena. Uh, you know there are always rumors of another possible Napoleon sighting. Um, you know even kids because like there was one thing Napoleon loved throughout his life it was getting young French people killed, um, and so you know. There was famous sightings, but the most famous first sighting of what people thought was Napoleon happened at Camp de Lac de Cristal uh, in the south of France. Uh, and a bunch of teenagers got killed uh, by someone who they all thought was Napoleon. Um, and it turned out it was actually uh, Letizia Bonaparte, Napoleon's mother. Um, but it a couple years later, it happened again. There was a killer wandering around killing young military-aged French people, uh, especially after they had sex. He was wearing, like, a bag over his head that was shaped like Napoleon's hat, sort of, like, sideways taco style. Um, See, even in death, he was an angry incel. Yes, yes, what? exactly. You're getting exactly. laid? Fuck you. Um, this kept happening, like, every couple years in sequence. Like, the third time, it was in 3D, which is weird. Um he like murdered a shopkeeper and tried to steal a hockey mask um of course realizing at that time that there was no uh safety regulations for hockey so he kind of takes a few years off to lead a campaign to get safety equipment sort of into the rules of hockey and introduce goalie masks then he gets and, and right uh, back and to killing that's also providing the inspiration for jason Voorhees. <laughs> well, Jason, you uh, we're getting there. Jason, we're getting there. Jason, he's he's actually in the Friday Holy Ghost. Series as, you don't know the Friday the 13th series as well as I do. No, uh, I don't think so anyone knows. So far, there's been references knows. to his mother, a burlap bag, uh, picking up the hockey mask. That's Friday the 13th, 1, 2, and 3, pretty flatly. Yes. Uh, next, Tommy Jarvis is going to kill him. Yes. Part uh, 5 will Corée be an impersonator. Feldman, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, of Les Deux Corries. Um, He'll become a zombie in part six. Yeah. So that's that one. And then there's one after that that is the, f you know, everyone says like, oh, this is the final chapter of Napoleon. There's a chapter after that. It sucks. Uh, everyone sort of agrees it's shit. Um, it's not really Napoleon in that one. No, so it's not. It's a dude pretending to be. Part four is actually Napoleon. And then in part five, it's a guy pretending to be Napoleon. Yes. Uh, Napoleon six. Uh, it is Napoleon again. And it is older Corey Feldman. Um, using his magic of being utterly abused by a horrifying system of the motion picture industry. 
Um, uh, it is not. Well, I mean, the actor isn't him. No, if that's no, him. of course. The coincidence. It's the same character, but it's not the same actor. Uh, he does impale Napoleon's corpse with some metal, uh, which is then mm-hmm. struck by lightning, which, as we all know, causes you to return as a sort of demi-magical revenant. Um, sure. yeah. That's how lightning well, works. It's that's, Frankenstein. That's science. That's, that's established science. Yeah. It's Frankenstein rules. Yeah. Um, it is Frankenstein rules. But... Uh, Corey Felmont is able to lure Napoleon back to St. Helena and says he's finally home. Um, anyway, a telekinetic girl brings him back to life. Uh, they battle. It's actually pretty good. It's much better than I'm making it sound right now. Sorry, I have a sick kid upstairs. Um, the MPAA really cuts out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, he takes Manhattan. Uh, he goes to hell. Uh, <laughs> he chills until France has a space program. Um, and then gets more people killed, but in space this time. Ah, space um, Napoleon. Honestly, an underrated installment, I think. Um, so the question is, who's Freddy? Uh, Frederic, uh, Frederic Kruger. Um, yeah, they fight. And then, uh, much like... I thought like, it'd be historical. Oh. <laughs> much like Napoleon III, um, there is a shitty reboot... <laughs> Uh, a few years later, that's a a pale imitation of the original. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the... <laughs> oh, crap, there's <laughs> a poop situation happening in the living room right now. And now there's, a- uh, you know, rights disputes about who gets Napoleon's uh, yes. uh, film rights. And, and Brian Fuller is making a prequel series. So. Oh, shit, okay. I'm uh, into that. Starring... With some pretty good writers on it, I forget who exactly, but I think there's a, a a very solid writer involved in that project, and I'm very curious about what that will be. And Brian Fuller, I'm always for. Yeah, yeah, um, but that is the I am sorry that ended up being very abbreviated version <laughs> of the alternate history. Um, That's okay. Uh, I've I uh, know Friday the Thirteenth well enough that. Uh, um, because I was on a Friday the 13th forum when I was in high school and early middle school. Uh, in fact, it's where, um, while the Iraq and Afghanistan wars were in their infancy, thankfully these people were progressive because I, uh, realized how horrific these things were when I was like 12, 13 years old because of <laughs> the people on this forum <laughs> who I'm still friends with. Um, uh, who live only a few blocks away from me now by pure chance. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, but I, I I knew that franchise well enough to understand where this was going quite quickly. <laughs> Pretty early on, yep. <laughs> I've never seen a single movie and I'm completely confused. December 9th. 1953, General Electric announces that all communist employees will be terminated. And now, 70 years later, none of their shit works. December 9th, 1996, Gwen Jacob is acquitted of public indecency, giving women in Ontario, Canada, the legal right to go topless in public. Though other laws still mandate that one nipple be translated into French. So, okay. Um, Tra- that that's that's kind of dishonest because <laughs> nip- nipples 
are kind of in French anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I assume all nudity is actually in French. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or uh, Italian. You, yeah. Yeah. The, the subtitles for all nudity in movies are in French. <laughs> not, uh, not animated nudity, though. No, no. That is you often Japanese based on uh, sometimes English, American English. Often yeah. Japanese. D- yeah. It depends on whose deviant art page it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, okay, one more. December 9th, 1531. Uh, Juan Diego receives the first vision of the Virgin of Guadalupe, heralded two weeks prior by the way swole Chad of Guadalupe. Okay. 